0: I was going to, on the way over, I I said I was going to uh, forward my message to Sally Roth. And and then about five minutes to ten, I was going to say, I have car trouble, Sally. (laughs) So, you know, being that I'm talking about baptism and sin, I figured that might be crossing the the boundaries. But thank you, it's... um, it's good to be home. There's a lot of... I have a lot of fun at these churches that I visit, but it's really good to come home and charge your batteries. And as it's the new year, and we're making resolutions, I wanted to talk about baptism. And that may seem out of context, but as, you'll go, as I go through my message, you'll see where it connects. And I'm going to talk about Jesus' baptism you know, from the book of Mark. And um, Andrew's going to put the passage up on the screen, hopefully. (laughs) There you go. And if if we could read this together, I think it'll be good. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole of Judean countryside and all people of Jerusalem... No, to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized in him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and this was the message. After me comes one more powerful. Heart. I baptize you, Father but he will, he will baptize, baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. At that time, time Jesus, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, who I am in love with you. I am well pleased. One thing about Mark, if you read it over and over, Mark, the, the gospel of Mark reads like a action movie that's told by a teenager. And there's a lot of run-on sentences and a lot of ands connecting. So if you've ever talked to a young kid who's breathless trying to tell you a story, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. So Mark doesn't start out with anything about Jesus' birth, genealogies. He just jumps right in um, with John the Baptist. And, and you kind of, by what Mark was saying, he seems like kind of a fanboy of John the Baptist. You know, the camel hair, the belt, you know, the insects. He was kind of like, he seems like, you know, like a kid looking up to somebody. And that was kind of interesting. But interesting that what John was preaching, he was preaching a baptism that was repentance baptism. And there was different than other forms of baptism. So you think about what he was saying, that I'm baptizing this way, so there, of course there must be other ways of baptizing. And there was a kind of purification ritual, and Dave, since you might help this, called the mikvah. Got it. So a Jewish person who would be unclean would be required to be cleaned by immersion in a pool of water. And this was a natural farming pool. And they did this before they entered the temple. In most cases, the uncleanliness was a result of coming into contact with something that had died or... Leviticus is full of a list of things that you couldn't touch and do. One thing I found interesting, it was also used... When a person was being converted to Judaism, they'd walk into this, this uh, water and submerse themselves and come out. One of the other things I find interesting about this story, too, is that John was performing the baptisms in the Jordan River. And if you recall, the Jordan River stood between the people of Israel and the land promised by God. Joshua in chapter 3 describes how, when the feet of the priest... Carrying the ark, touched the Jordan River, the river parted so that the Israelites could cross. In this verse, and you can see by the last we have up there, instead of God parting the river, God parted the heavens for Jesus. There's also another parallel to these verses in Mark and Joshua 3, verse 7. I think there's a slide for this. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. So that's pretty close to God saying he's pleased with him, he's exalting him. So God was actually exalting Jesus to all of Israel. Water was used in the Old Testament as a way to signify new beginnings. The Israelites crossing the Red Sea, leaving Egypt behind. The, the Israelites crossing the Jordan River to enter the promised land, leaving their, their wandering the desert behind. And the dirt that they accumulated on these wanderings was left behind too. In practical terms, we use water to wash things, right? Clean dishes, clothes, and ourselves, hopefully, we do it regularly. Water is considered in the science field as a universal solvent because so many compounds are, solvent in, are soluble in it. Boiling water is used to sterilize medical tools and IV solutions to prevent infection. And water was actually talked about in the second verse of Genesis. It also appears over 600 times in the Bible. There's a lot of controversy in the church around baptism. You know, is it immersion versus sprinkle? Infant versus adult? Bears versus peckers? <laughs> I'm not going to venture into that arena today. I know I'm chicken. I'm going to Dave handle that somewhere down the line. <laughs> what I want to talk about is the baptisms I've experienced in my life, and it really revolved around where I was attending church. I found that maybe some of you may have these same experiences. And I just want to pull up my slide that these are my types of baptism, the list I made. You can't find this anywhere except here today. So, <laughs> and it might not be appearing here after that. So, <laughs> so I, I have a list. It's called the one and done, the tent revival, and the daily cleaners. And so, the one and done baptism could be also called the set and forget Baptism either occurs as an infant or as an adult. The general view in this type of baptism is, I'm forgiven of the original sin, and I'm good to go. These one-and-doners go on with their lives, and in many cases, it's very hard to see any difference in their lives and the people that live in the world. The tent revival people are the ones that have been baptized in the past, and like the one-and-doners, they think they're good to go. That is until they hear a convicting message at church that exposes their sin and their need for repentance. These people will again be baptized as a symbol of a new start in their lives. They start out with good intentions, but in most cases, they drift back into their old ways until a new tent revival happens for them. The last group I call the Daily Cleaners These are the types that each day they confess their sins, repent, and turn to the waters of the Jordan River to be reborn. They understand that their sin separates them from God and want to rid themselves of it immediately. Minimally, each day they repent and bathe in the Lord's forgivenesses. These daily cleaners understand that throughout their day they accumulate sin. It is invisible, but it's like a cloud of swirling dirt around their body. It's funny how the Holy Spirit works. I was trying to figure out a way to demonstrate this concept of how we pick up sin throughout the day, and the Peanuts Christmas special cartoon popped into my head. So I'm going to give a note. This is the point of my message where I take a detour to introduce something I found that was very interesting. It doesn't really relate, but I'm going to bring it back around. So just hang with me on this. One of the amazing things about this cartoon, the Christmas cartoon, was Linus's reading of Luke chapter two, verses eight through fourteen. I mean, how many of you have heard those? You know, young, old—it's it's a classic. We read those same verses. I think Dave read them pretty much every Advent service. And the story goes that George Saltz was approached by some network to do, probably CBS, to do a Christmas special. When he pitched it, he pitched Linus reading, you know, the Christmas story. So one of the producers wanted to cut that out of the script. But George Shultz was firm. And it was included. When the cartoon first aired on December 9th, 1965, it had garnered 45% of the viewing audience. That means one in every two TVs were tuned in for that special. For the last 48 years, every Christmas, if we take time, we can hear Linus reading the Christmas story from the Gospel of Luke. I'm surprised that today, that before they show that penis cartoon, they don't have a warning label. You know, the ones they're putting on TV shows that we watched in the past, smoking and stuff. So, you know, maybe this will see like, you know, they, we see like violence, sexual situations, flashing of lights, smoking, and the new one, biblical references. There's a warning for that. I can almost hear some of these people clutching their pearls And how do we let that slip through? Anyways, um, now I'm going to come back through that tangent and bring you back to the message. So... As much as I love all the Peanuts character, there's one Peanuts character that I relate to most. His name is Pigpen. You can see him up on the screen. My mom would not only agree, but she would say that Charles Schultz designed the character with me in mind. Pigpen is easily recognized in the Peanuts comics because he has a cloud of dirt and dust swirling around him at all times. Whether he's walking or standing still, that cloud moves. And any of us that have raised some boys can really appreciate that, right? You get them all cleaned and you walk, they're dirty. I realized that that dirt and dust that coated pig pen could be a metaphor for sin in my life. There is a penis comet strip that demonstrates this better than I can do. And here's a slide up there. So you see, in the first quadrant, that's a cleaned up pig pen. Hair's parted. And you go to another one, he's talking about going outside and how clean he is, you know, and wham, he's full of dirt. And the last one, he says, you know what? I am a dust magnet. (laughs) I love the last panel, you know, because it really describes me. The dirt that coats and swirls around me is the sin in my life. And like Pigpen, I need to admit I'm a sin magnet. Of all the three types I've listed, they all had original baptism. Like Pigpen, they were spotless when they were in the house. I was spotless because of what Jesus did on the cross. He sacrificed his blood and it coached my soul. But the moment I stepped into the world, I attract sin like a powerful magnet. Even though I'm saved, I attract and continue to attract sin. Baptism is, baptism is a way of cleansing my sins and starting afresh. But unlike mikvah, just soaking in the water isn't enough because it only cleans the outside. John baptized people after they repented and asked for forgiveness of their sins. The cleansing water was an internal rinsing of the heart. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, we won't take our sins with us after we die, but this side of heaven, it accumulates like the dust and dirt around pig pen. If that's true, the one in Dunners and the tent revival baptism camps could argue, then why do I need cleansing? Some of you may be asking the same question. I was trying to think of a way to help visualize this concept And I thought of those commercials that have been coming out around Christmas. You know, with those new anti-stick pants, you know, where you can do something, it flies off, and, you know, I don't know how they keep control of those things. Anyways, imagine the pan was taken out of the box and was never cleaned after cooking. Kind of remember back to your college days. (laughs) No matter how much non-stick the surface was, there would be a build-up of past meals if you've never rinsed it or washed it off. And then you get some of the food sticking to the food that stuck to the food and you would never see this non-stick surface. The pan wouldn't be operating as intended or advertised. Over time, the layers of food that wasn't removed would taint the new food that was being cooked. And you'd lose the full richness of what was currently being cooked. You wouldn't be able to savor it. You wouldn't be able to taste it. And over time, with enough layers that built up, all the food cooked on that pan would taste the same. This is the one type of baptism. They have the blood of Christ covering their souls, but their sin is so thickly coated over that they are unable to taste the richness that God intends for our lives. Their lives become bland and lacking of any flavor. The tent revival folks are similar to the one-and-doners, except they will clean the pan after they start tasting the decaying food of their previously cooked meals and their freshly cooked meals. When enough sin contaminates their life, they act. The Holy Spirit that has been whispering to them is now in their ear with a megaphone. They hear a sermon or are confronted by sins in their lives, and they turn from their ways and commit to a new beginning. They clean their pan and the residual fuel will come off with some water, soap, and a little bit of scouring in elbow grease. They vow that things will be different, but over time they return to their old lives, accumulating sins until their next revival experience. Then there are the ones that clean their pans every day after every use. The non-stick surface is not far from being seen in its original form. Each meal starts with a fresh and clean surface, no remnants of the last meal leaching into the present one. These people still use soap and water, but they don't need to scrub. A simple wipe with the sponge does it, and it returns back to its original design. It is probably no surprise that the third, as the third category of people view baptism, these are the daily cleaners. At a minimum, each day they confess their sins they repent, and are reborn in the waters of the Jordan River. If you go to the next slide. So I made it like this. So the world gets you the sin, you go to the cross, go to baptism, and this is a continual loop throughout their day. World, cross, baptism. The continuous loop brings peace to our lives and balances the equation I presented last week. So Alec, I don't know if you saw my present. I I proved peace. So here's the ultimate peace as I find it. (laughs) I know you're all studying it and trying to prove me wrong, right? So what you find out about this equation is that Jesus is always greater than our sin. And he's the one in the denominator. But if we allow sin to take hold of our lives, we replace Jesus in the denominator with sin. It isn't only the denominator, though, that it's impacted. The more that we allow sin to take hold in our lives, the less obedience, patience, and perseverance we have. It also holds true that our prayer life will be diminished. In a nutshell, the left side of the equation becomes closer and closer to zero, robbing us of his peace. Without us continually being reborn in baptism, the sin will continue to accumulate until we can't see the blood of Jesus that covers us. Then instead of the Son leading us to the cross and baptism, it leads us to the world, which only offers despair instead of peace. For those of you out there that go to the cross daily in the waters of baptism, way to go. Keep it up. For those out there who have allowed sin to accumulate in your life, no matter how many layers of sin cover you, like those that came to John the Baptist at the Jordan River, go to the cross, ask for forgiveness, repent, and be born in the waters of baptism. For those who aren't in any of those three baptismal types I came up with, the baptismal water is waiting. Let today be that day. Stop trying to do it on your own. Own your sins, repent of them, and ask for forgiveness at the foot of the cross. Let Jesus' blood coach your soul. I want to end by showing you one last slide of Pigpen. So in the first slide, you see he's looking up, and then he's running through the rain, and then he's all cleaned out after the rain. In the last slide he says, "In one minute, the rain has washed away what took all me all day to accomplish." I probably should have shown this up front. We could have got the sermon over a lot quicker, right? <laughs> <laughs> I would have if I was here late. <laughs> How profound is that? Sixty seconds is all it takes for Jesus to wash away the sins. I, it took me all day all year, and all my life to accomplish. I encourage you all, invest 60 seconds every day at the foot of the cross, and and then submerge yourselves in the cleansing, baptismal waters. Leave the dirt of sin behind. If you bow your heads in prayer. Thank you, Lord. You're out there waiting for us. You're out there waiting to just cleanse us And bring us back to what you designed us to be, obedient to you, to love you, to love ourselves and to love our neighbors. We're under all that dirt and grime. We know you see us there. Help us to just be drawn to you by the Holy Spirit. I pray for everyone here and everyone listening that you just show them the way that they need to take. Show them a way that they incorporate baptism into their daily life, And just reach for the richness and fullness of life that you offer. It's in your name we pray. Amen.